real quick before you have a seat. Turn to your neighbor and say, I love the snow. Now, if you don't love the snow, you can turn to your neighbor and tell them, Pastor Ryan told me to say it, and I lied to you, and I really don't like it. Well, it's good to see everyone here this morning, and for those that you made it through the snow, right? I mean, it was really our true good first snowfall of Michigan, and we all learned how to drive in snow once again, right? And I'm just get, get ready. Just, we're just entering January. We got all January and February still, even into March, sometimes April. It's going to be here for a little bit, but uh, hey, I just want to look at the camera. Welcome everyone online. Church family, can we give them a hand because they're part of us this morning? Absolutely, and we know this is the beauty of technology now. We know that some did not come because of the weather, but you're watching at home and hope to see you next week. Even if another snowfall does come, we're going to be right here worshiping God together in this room. Well, I'm really excited. I mean, I've been pumped all week. I really think the Lord has some, some good stuff in store for us as we kick off our brand new series, Awaken, the Book of Acts. And every year... I asked the Lord, what's one word for the church? One word for the church that we can focus on for the year that you want. Not what I want or the other pastors want. But Lord, what do you want for Radiant Life? And truly felt the Lord saying 2020 was going to be a year to awaken. And many of you right now are sitting on those green cards. You may be wondering, what is that? Well, here's the green card. It's my one word. Every year we get a word from the Lord for the church but we ask you, what is one word in your life that you can focus on for 2022? And maybe for some of you, it is like that word that the Lord's going to use spiritually for you. Maybe emotionally or physically, mentally for this year. But what's one word that the Lord will give you that your life can surround it around for 2022? Now. I know for some of you, I've already seen on social media, you've already been beginning to share your one word because you've been a part of Radiant Life for a while and you know we do this every year. For others of you that are new, you just take it and that's that big white space for you to write the one word that the Lord just impressed on your heart that you're going to focus on. And here's why we stick with one word. The problem with New Year's resolutions is statistically 80% of them fail. I know, not good news this morning for those of you that wrote the New Year's resolution list out already, right? 80% of all New Year's resolutions fail. One major factor contributing to it is the list seems too long to tackle. They're all great things, most of them great things, but it feels like I will never get all this done. And we simplified it to say what's one word that the Lord can use in your life in a mighty way this year that will deepen your walk, but also in other areas, not just spiritually. Here's an example. Mine for 2021 was intimacy. And I really felt like the Lord took me to deeper waters with intimacy. And I now know why, looking back upon this past year, why was that one word intimacy? I did not know in 2021 that I would lose my grandmother and my father in the same year. But one of the things that I got through it was because the Lord took me into deeper waters of intimacy with him. That dependency. So it's really cool to sit back and get the word for the year that the Lord has impressed on you and wonder how is this going to take fruit in my life. And so if for many of you, if you got your one word, write it down, stuff it in your Bible or put it on your mirror that you're reminded of it. For others of you, pray over this, grab this card out, pray over it. Lord, what's one word in my life for this next year I can focus on? 
And so that's our challenge. You can grab them if you are like, oh, my family's not here. We got more out in the lobby for you. You can go to the guest central or right outside this door over here. There's a, a rack of information. You can, there's more cards there for you. So really pray over it. That's for you. And if there's an empty chair next to you, you can grab it for your family and your friends. But I'm really excited that, I mean, we, we purposely, obviously, y'all are smart. You get why we called the book of Acts Awaken, right? It's the one year. But I really believe that this book's going to radically transform us. I really, truly believe that. Now, you ask me, Pastor Ryan, how long is this series? A long time. Like years. Like, you, we can't, there's 28 chapters in the book of Acts. And we're going to work through it. But it's going to take years to work through it. So let me give you the disclaimer. We'll be in other series as well. We'll be in the Awakened series. And maybe in a few weeks, we're going to off-ramp it for another series. And we're going to come back on and see this logo again, an image, and keep digging into the book of Acts. Then we're going to off-ramp again and come back on the book of Acts. Does that make sense? So we're going to be in and on this series probably, honestly, for maybe three years. Oh, you're going to get excited. You cannot read the book of Acts and not get excited about our faith. It's impossible. It literally is impossible. But let me briefly, what we're going to do this morning, I'm going to give you a rundown of what is Acts. So I'm going to give you just a few details on what is the book of Acts. And then we're going to jump in with Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. That's all we're covering today. So let me give you some details on the book of Acts. The author of the book of Acts is a guy by the name of Luke. Now, some of you right now are automatically going, oh, I know another book by the same name. Luke, you are correct. This is the same guy that wrote the letter that you and I have known as Luke. It's the same guy. Now, who is Luke? Luke is a doctor. See, Paul writes to the church in Colossae in Colossians 4.14, our dear friend Luke, the doctor, sends greetings. So Luke is the doctor. You will know Luke is very meticulous because he's a doctor. He likes details. Luke is also a dear, dear friend of Paul. In fact, Luke appears with Paul in Acts chapter 16. For the rest of the book of Acts, Luke actually journeys with Paul. And now Luke is writing this book. Now, it's a two-volume set. So I already told you, Luke is volume one. He writes about the life of Jesus. It's known as a gospel. He writes that, and he writes volume two, which is Acts. You could also say that this is called the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Early Church. In the ancient days, they had scrolls that were very limited. If Luke probably could have, if scrolls were long enough, it would have been one giant scroll, Luke and Acts. But we have it broken up into two different volumes, but it's the same volume. It's beautiful if you're able to read Luke and then straight into Acts because it's the same book, if you will. Does that make sense, friends? So volume one is Luke, the gospel, the life of Jesus. Volume two now, Jesus comes on the scene. He goes back into heaven, and we're talking about the Acts of the Apostles and the early church, the first Christians. So here's what one uh, biblical scholar said about Luke and Acts. It says this, the reason, the reason why those two, it's to identify the Jesus movement and describe the spread of this new movement and success of its evangelism and the power of the Spirit. That is the reason for Luke and Acts. Luke, volume one, 
What is the life and ministry of Jesus? Who is the son of God? What is he doing? How is he ushering in the kingdom? Volume two, Acts. How does the Jesus movement spread through the power of the Holy Spirit? It's not just in in modern day Israel anymore. It has left Jerusalem and it's everywhere through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Now here's a cool fact about the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, Holy Spirit is mentioned 56 times. Either mentioned by the word Holy Spirit or the Spirit. 56 times, as we journey together through the book of Acts, we're gonna realize the strong dependency that the early church had on the presence and power of Holy Spirit in their lives. And guess what, friends? It's for us today. This book was written 2,000 years ago, but it doesn't mean it was only for them. It is for us today. In fact, Acts goes from chapter 1 to 28. You and I are still writing Acts chapter 29 because the Jesus movement is still alive. It's still spreading and God is still working. We're writing Acts chapter 29 together. So that's a cool fact. You're going to see that the Spirit leads people. The Spirit indwelled people. The Spirit told people to say certain things. The Spirit stopped people. Paul, for instance, wants to go to Ephesus, the fourth largest city in the ancient world at that time. The combination of the New York business high rise and the wild living of Las Vegas. He wants to go and evangelize and spread Jesus in that city. But the spirit, it said, stopped him. Not yet. Eventually, Paul gets there. Another cool thing in the book of Acts, the spirit, I don't know how it happened. I can't wait to discuss this with you. The spirit teleports Philip. Like Star Trek teleportation. I don't know how it happens, but it said Philip was here, and then the Spirit took him and put him about 20 miles away in another city. Don't know how it happens, but it's pretty cool, right? That's in the book. And so we see the Spirit doing all sorts of things. But there's a key verse before we jump in to the book of Acts. There's a key verse that the entire book of Acts is actually kind of the foundational verse, and then it spreads from there. The key verse is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And here's what Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And again, this is the key verse, and everything is built upon this verse right here. Luke records this. But you will receive power. You will receive what, friends? Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea, Jerusalem's the city, Judea is the region, the county that Jerusalem's in, and Samaria. Samaria was the region just north of Jerusalem. They were known as half-breeds. The problem with the Samaritans to the Jews is they, they intermarried into pagan culture and religion, and so that's why they view them as en- enemies. You would actually go around Samaria to walk as a good Jew. You did not want to go through there. So you got the northern region of Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is the foundational, that the spirit or the power is going to come when the spirit comes on you. Now you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in that county of Judea, in Samaria, enemy territory, and watch the gospel message spread. Then the rest of the entire book of Acts is built on this. Here's how it's built on. You have three large sections. Section one It's the Jerusalem and Judea. That's Acts 1 to Acts 8, 4. 
That's where the apostles, that's where the early churches started. It's hubbed in Jerusalem and then Judea. And it stays there. The gospel message stays right there. Then the middle section is finally that the gospel message gets to Samaria, the enemy territory. And that's Acts 8, 5 through 12, 25. The gospel is now spreading to the enemies. And then the rest of the book of Acts, from Acts chapter 13 all the way to the end of chapter 28, it's to the ends of the earth. It's going now to modern-day Turkey, to Italy, to Greece, to northern Africa. The message of Jesus is beginning to spread. And it goes all the way to India as well. It's beginning to spread. So those are the three major sections of how that key verse gets played out in the book of Acts. Now, before we jump in, I love this quote. It got me fired up this week, and I hope it gets you fired up. It really got to really speak to me because it's my heart for the book of Acts. And it reads this way. This is James Dunn from the book, The Acts of the Apostles. This is what he says. The Acts of the Apostles is the most exciting book in the New Testament, probably in the whole Christian Bible. It tells of the beginnings of Christianity with a vigor and vividness, which often leads the new reader breathless. I'm praying that we become breathless to our creator as how good he is and how he's still moving today. And then uh, James Dunn finishes by saying this, it's a story of men who are filled with divine power. I'm praying that you and I will be filled with this divine power, that there's more, that you and I become awakened to more within our faith. Acts is a book which even today still stirs the passions when read in Christian congregations and groups, what we're doing. Some sighing, oh, that the church today would know again the same empowering of the Spirit. May you and I be awakened to the same empowering of the Spirit that we read in the book of Acts that you and I can experience today. So let's dive in. You ready? Come on now, we're going to dive into Acts chapter 1, starting verse 1 through 8. That's all we're going to get through today. I'm laying the foundation for the rest of the series. And I've titled this message, The Promise of Power. The Promise of Power. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Let's jump in. In the first book, O Theophilus. Okay, stop right there. What is Luke doing? What is he reminding you of? In the first book, what's his first book? Volume one was Luke, right? His gospel that he writes about the message. And then he says, it's addressed to someone, O Theophilus. See, if, let's jump into Luke's gospel really quick. And this is how Luke starts his gospel in verses three and four. It says, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you. Remember, Luke's a doctor. He would write an orderly account. That's the way he thinks. For you, who? Most excellent Theophilus. What do we know about this guy that actually Luke is addressing his gospel and the book of Acts, volume one and volume two, too? We don't know much about him, unfortunately. What we do know is he's probably got a very pristine, uh, big, more, um, what do I want to say, powerful position in culture. I mean, you don't go to an average person and say, Moke's excellent. It's, it's, it's regulate, regulate, regulate. It's meant for per particular people who have power, right? That's how you would address them. 
We do believe that he was a follower of Christ and that in who Theophilus is, in him, that he had some sort of significant position in the culture and he was able to fund some of the Jesus movement. So that's why Luke writes the gospel to him and then why he writes volume two, the book of Acts to him. For him, who probably has some financial backing to the Jesus movement, now, hey, this is for you to understand what you believe. Also, go help spread it now, Theophilus. And that's what he's doing here. So let's jump back into the book of Acts. In the first book, referring to Luke's gospel, O Theophilus, a high guy that is funding the Jesus movement and also is going to spread this letter. I have dealt with all that Jesus, what's this one word? One more time, it's what? I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. Right there is the summary of his gospel. He's saying in my former book, the gospel of Luke, everything Jesus began to do and teach I wrote in there, please note how important this is. Too many Christians believe that Jesus' ministry stopped in the Gospels. It didn't. Jesus' ministry is still alive and present today, 2,000 years later. That's why Luke writes, not what Jesus just did and it's done. It's what he began because he's still working today through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our lives. He's still moving like he did back then. In Luke's gospel, it literally wraps up with Jesus being taken up, ascending back into heaven. But you want to know that Jesus is still moving? Paul, this is what Paul writes to the church in Rome. He says this, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Paul was on the other side of the cross. When Jesus says it is finished, he means his saving ministry is done. Now everyone can be saved. But Paul, writing 30, 40 years later, is sitting there going, Christ is still accomplishing things and leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have. What's this one word? Said and what? Woo! Notice the combination. What I have said, the word, and what I have done, there's deeds. God uses both word and deed for his kingdom. And too many times I think Christians believe that our faith is based on a message that we hear on Sunday morning. It's all that. Can I just tell you that I am a believer that there are still signs and wonders today. That God is still moving in miraculous ways. I I love what Paul writes then to the church in Corinth. He says, I want to remind you of something. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. But watch this. But of what? Power. That yes, it is talk, it's with the word, but it's always accompanied with power. What God is doing in us and through us through the empowerment of Holy Spirit in our lives. That's why I love First Wednesdays. We've had miracles in this room praying over people who had tumors that went to the doctor and got an MRI that following week and the doctor says there is no tumor. Can I address it to the miracle that the prayer team anointed and prayed over? I don't know why God does certain miracles and doesn't others. I don't know why he saves some family members and doesn't others. But I know this, I'm gonna trust in God's faithfulness and his ways are higher than my ways and I will bow down to him because the creation has no claim on the creator. The creator claims you and I will gladly bow and follow wherever he goes. 
But he says this, I've done all these things, what I've said and done. There is the word, there is deeds, there is a movement of God, and he's doing it by the power of signs and wonders. How do signs and wonders happen? Through the power of the Spirit of God that is in you. At the moment of your salvation, you have the Holy Spirit. It's in you. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. You can fully proclaim the gospel of Christ when you've said and done. When you've said and done. Know this, we demonstrate the gospel both with word and deed. That the movement and the empowerment of God in your life is the deed. Not just to do a nice thing. I'm saying when you have big faith for big things and big miracles in your life, you're going to see the hand of God move. And you do it through the word, his words. We have to become students of God's word. We got to know the Bible because there's an enemy of your soul who wants to steal truth from you. And you'll buy every lie if you never know the truth. How do we know the truth? We need to get into God's word. We need to understand it. And so back into the book of Acts, that what Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he, Jesus, watch this, had given commands through who, friends? Through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So Luke's writing saying, okay, my first book, I reminded you of everything Jesus began to do and teach because he's not done. By the way, everything Jesus began to do and teach was through the powering of the Holy Spirit on Jesus' life. Now, if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit to do everything, how much more do you and I need the Holy Spirit? Jesus, the Son of God, needed the Holy Spirit. You and I need the Holy Spirit in our lives. I'm gonna give you really quick a bunch of verses that shows you the dependency on Holy Spirit that Jesus had. So Luke chapter four, verse one, Jesus Full of who, friends? Full of the? Woo! The Son of God, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, and watch, now he's being led by the Spirit. Luke, a little further on in Luke, watch this, he, that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was, or Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. Jesus had the power of the Holy Spirit. Then Jesus is gonna go to a city, and he's gonna preach in the synagogue, the church. And a scroll is going to give given to him. And the scroll is from the prophet Isaiah. And unrolling it, Jesus found the place where it's written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has set me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he sits down and says, you have, this has been fulfilled today. Look at me. What is Jesus saying? That the spirit is on me and he's anointed me. I'm ushering in the kingdom of God. So in this moment, Jesus is reminding everyone, hey, Holy Spirit's on me. He's anointed me. There's a dependence there. Luke writes further in his gospel. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Luke 10, at the time Jesus, full of joy. How was Jesus full of joy? Through the Holy Spirit. If you don't got joy, I'm going to tell you right now, be full of the Spirit. I don't have joy. Did you know joy is a fruit of the Spirit? 
Love, joy, peace, patient, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the fruits of the Spirit. If you don't have joy, maybe it's time to open yourself up to the infilling of the Holy Spirit in your life. Watch the fruit. Watch, watch your life begin to bear fruit. Because you can't bear fruit apart from the vine. It's impossible. Acts, let me show you this a little further in Acts. We'll get to this down the road, but I'm going to show you this. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. So Jesus is anointed with the Holy Spirit and with his power. And he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Just a few more. John's gospel, he writes this. And this is Jesus in the upper room with the 12 disciples. This is where Jesus is going to die the next day. And he's reminding the disciples in this moment, these are my final teachings to you. He says this, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me, look at the power of this. You believe in Jesus, you will do the works I have been doing. How cool is that? That power is available. And they will do even greater things than these. Why? Because I'm going to the Father. Can you imagine being the disciples for a moment, sitting there going, there's no way, Jesus. We've seen you raise dead people from life. The blind can see people who were demon-possessed now walk in freedom. There's no way. Jesus says, oh, you can do that if you believe in me. You can. There's power. Oh, by the way, you'll do greater things. What? He shared Jesus? Yeah. Why? But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. It is better for I to go so the Holy Spirit can empower you. And you'll do greater things than what I'm doing. Do you believe that? It's time to be awakened to a reality that you have power and authority in the name of Jesus. It's time to be awakened to this. <laughs> a little further on. Uh, Matthew's gospel, he records a very powerful moment of Jesus' life. I love referring to this. This is when Jesus gets baptized. And it's powerful because Jesus doesn't start his ministry until he gets baptized. And let's jump in to see what Matthew, the tax collector, the disciple of Jesus, had to say about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. This is John the Baptist, his cousin, speaking. He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. Who is he referring to? His cousin Jesus. He knows Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior is on the scene. He, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I wonder if people heard that and go, oh, I don't know about the fire thing. I'm good with the spirit maybe, but I don't know about the fire. And then Jesus is going to come on the scene. And I love, and I never saw this before. But what does John know, before I show you the next verse, what does John know? That Jesus is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? Remember, what does John know? The Messiah, Jesus, is coming because he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And what does John say? I need that baptism, Jesus. And think about John the Baptist if you don't know. He was a wild man. I mean, he wore camel hair, ate 
wild honey and locusts. But John the Baptist drew crowds because he was baptizing people in the repentance for the forgiveness of sins. People were turning their lifestyle around and walking towards God. He had everything going for him, but he knew one thing. I need that baptism. I need that immersion into the power of Holy Spirit in my life. I got a question for you to wrestle with. If God has more for you, do you want it? John the Baptist knew it. There is more to this. And Jesus, I know you want me to baptize you, but I'm going to tell you, I need the Holy Spirit. And he had everything going for him. How sad is it that we as Christians try to do life on our own power and our own will, and we're not going to make it. We're never going to live into what John 10.10 writes, where Jesus says, I have come to give life and life to the full. We'll never experience that because we're trying on our own gifts, our own talents, and our own abilities to make it through life. We've, become, we've made life about our will and not truly God's will. And God's sitting there going, I'm ready to awaken you tomorrow. And then back into the baptism story. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. <laughs> this is awesome. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. Jesus needed this to happen. His baptism, the spirit coming down upon Jesus and now Jesus launches his three-year ministry. But this needed to happen first. Now imagine being there. I don't think it's as quiet as maybe we think. Right, I think some of us read this and we're like, at that moment, heaven was open. Maybe like, shh, like the clouds just kind of, shh. Be like, wow. I think there was noise. Maybe not. I, I think, because anytime God moved, I mean, God's opening up heaven. What do you, what do you think's going to happen? Like, whoa, right? And I don't think that, you know, he saw the spirit descending like a dove. I mean, Holy Spirit wasn't coming down like this cute little dove. It wasn't a dove. It's just the words that they had. It's like a dove that was falling. And then the spirit fills Jesus, empowers Jesus in this moment, alighting on him. And then the next, my final three, and we'll jump into the book of Acts. Watch what Jesus does at this moment. Through different gospel accounts. Matthew records, then Jesus, after the baptism, he was led by the spirit out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So the spirit falls on Jesus. Now he's led by the spirit. Mark records the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. The spirit's leading, the spirit's driving Jesus, and Jesus, full of the spirit, returned from the Jordan and was now led by the spirit. You have this leading, you have this driving, you have this filling that Jesus had of Holy Spirit. If it was important to Jesus, it ought to be important to us. And what I want to do week one is just lay that foundation in the first eight verses of Acts that there can be an awakening that we need to awaken to more of Holy Spirit. The person of the Trinity who is in you and active today. Please be reminded, where is God in the throne room of heaven? Where is Jesus in the throne room of heaven sitting at his right hand? Where is the person who's active in this world today? The third person of the Trinity, Holy Spirit who is inside of you. One of my favorite verses about Holy Spirit, it says you are marked with the Holy Spirit at the moment of your salvation. You have been marked by him. He's yours. And the enemy has no claim on you, by the way. Live into that. He sees Jesus in you when you follow after him. 
And then Luke finishes this idea of that, listen, Jesus needed this. Through the Holy Spirit, he commanded and did everything he did. And then Luke finishes Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 8. He said, he, referring to Jesus, presented himself alive for them after suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So after Jesus rose from the dead, he hangs out with them for 40 days before he goes back into heaven. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart Jerusalem, but, what's that one word? Wait. By the way, let me teach you about the kingdom of God for 40 more days. I'm going to go to heaven. Don't do anything yet. But wait for the promise of of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John, his cousin, the Baptist, baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I wonder if the disciples sat there and go, but how many days is how many days from now? And, Holy, and Jesus is like, just wait. How long, Jesus, how long? What I'm asking you to do to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded them. You cannot do this until you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit who will bring power in your life. I know you've come into salvation. I know you love me, but I need you to wait because you can't do it. And I wonder how many of us are trying to do this Christian life Without Holy Spirit. We feel like we're a vehicle on square tires. Doesn't work real well. You get a little motion, but I mean, you're motion sick by the time you make two turns already. That's what it feels like. That you wonder why you became a Christian. You thought life was going to be good. I'm sorry that you thought your life would be perfect. It's not a promise in scripture. The promise is Jesus will be with you. You will have victory over things in your life and that's worth it. But Jesus also says in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome it. And in order for just our lives to stop looking like a vehicle on square wheels that are as bumpy as can get. I think we need to depend on the Holy Spirit and be awakened to Holy Spirit in ways we've never been awakened before. And it's like getting an upgrade to a Corvette or a, a Ferrari. Ferrari. That's the upgrade. A spiritual Ferrari now. And Jesus knew he needed it. How much more do you and I need it? This is the life that's available. I'm not saying you're going to get this. I'm not saying that, okay? I'm saying life can be like a Ferrari. This is not the prosperity gospel, by the way. Back in the book of Acts. So when they came together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Why did they say that? They're under the oppression of the Roman Empire. They've got their thumb of oppression on them. Who do they think their Messiah is going to be? They think their Messiah is going to be a king riding on a horse with a sword that's going to overthrow the Roman Empire to restore the kingdom of Israel back to like it was during the time of King David. That's why they want to know, when are you going to restore the kingdom? Aren't you going to come with sword and knock out the Roman Empire? But he said to him, Jesus said to the disciples, no, listen, 
It's not for you to know the times or, or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive this power. That's what you need. You don't need me on a horse with a sword. You need the power. Jesus, when do we get this power? When the Holy Spirit comes on you. That's what you need. And now you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to go spread the gospel message. This is the true kingdom of God. The kingdom of God does not come by sword and might. The kingdom of God comes with love and peace and restoration of everything that's broken in your life. But in order to have that to the full, you need the Holy Spirit. Because he's going to bring power. And when the Holy Spirit brings this power in your life, you read through the rest of the book of Acts that you're going to have effectiveness in your witnessing. Because what does Holy Spirit do in your life? He does everything to point you to Jesus Christ. He reminds you of those things that does not look like Jesus in your life to say, we got to get rid of that. We got to look like Jesus to this world. You're going to get power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you don't have to try on your own anymore. It's relying on the Holy Spirit. Help me to look more like Jesus. And be effective in my witness. Because this world needs to know who Jesus Christ is. The only message in this world of hope. Not only that, you read the rest of the book of Acts. This power from the Holy Spirit. This power, you'll get a spiritual gift for ministry. You'll read all throughout the book of Acts. You'll see that when the Holy Spirit comes, they're given spiritual gifts. What are these spiritual gifts used for? To edify the body of Christ. To lift up believers, disciples of Jesus. And you have one if you follow after Jesus. And you'll see this power get played out. This power that gets played out. Listen, when the Holy Spirit comes, there is victory over sin in your life. There's victory over it. Does sin have some power? Yeah, but Jesus has more power. That you can actually walk in freedom. That you don't have to say, I'm an addict. You say, I'm a child of God walking in freedom, thanks to Jesus, through his empowerment of his spirit. You'll see that get played out through the book of Acts when the power comes on people. You'll have victory over Satan and demonic forces. You'll see all throughout the book of Acts when the apostles who were the disciples, apostle just means one who is sent. All right, Jesus has now sent them out when the Holy Spirit's come on them. And you'll see them free people from demonic forces in their life. Now, I'm not a person that believes that there's a demon behind every bush. But I do believe there might be a demon behind every other bush. I think maybe perhaps we got to be awakened to understand that there is a spiritual battle happening for the soul of your life all the time around you. And that maybe, not always, but maybe some of life's battles, because there are demonic forces that are trying to attack you. The battle's real, friends. You'll have power to be delivered, healed, and set free in the name of Jesus. And I love how John Piper summarizes all of this in a book, What 
what Jesus did after the beginning. He says this about the empowerment. It's extraordinary spiritual power for Christ's exalting ministry. It's about Jesus. And you get to be a part of Jesus' ministry. But the disciples were told, wait. The power is coming when the Holy Spirit comes on you. But wait for it. And then there's extraordinary spiritual power for you. See, friends, the Christian life was never designed to be a spectator sport. I'm fearful that within our faith, many have bought into this idea that salvation is the end game. Salvation is just the beginning. We need to be awakened to get off the sidelines and back into the game and take back territory that the enemy stole from us. Awaken, friends. The Christian life is designed to demonstrate the power of the gospel to this world. Your home needs it. Your work and school need it. There's a reason why every morning during my my quiet time and my prayer time, I pray, God, would you surround my home with your guardian warrior angels? Fill my home with your presence. Every room. Because I know there's an enemy of my soul that wants to destroy me and my family. And I'm going to go before the throne room of heaven and plead, not today, devil. Not today. If you look at Acts 1-8, as I close, you'll understand that God desires to empower you with his spirit. And that same spirit that fell 2,000 years ago is still moving today. And we are writing the next chapter in the book of Acts. So I'm going to ask two things. As I honestly close, two things. For this series, we laid down the foundation, the first eight verses, the foundation to move forward. I'm going to ask you every single weekend that you come or you watch online, that you would have a posture of openness. To come in and say, not with closed fists, but with open hands to say, God, awaken me to more. Maybe it's, I have to let go of some theology that I have to learn to deconstruct this theology that I once had that I don't know how, maybe through my experiences, I, I constructed this theology that's not of you. Help me deconstruct it. Help me to have and learn new things that I've never learned before. But I'm gonna ask you as we journey to be awakened by more of God. He wants more for you. Do you believe that? There's more. But I had come in and have a posture of openness. And I'm gonna ask you to be spirit receptive. If the Holy Spirit is tugging on you in ways that you've never been tugged on before, I pray that you may say this prayer. I'm open to whatever you have for me, Holy Spirit. That we would be open and spirit receptive. And let's go on a ride together. The greatest ride you and I will ever take is the spiritual journey of living like Jesus and sharing his love. But we need the infilling of his spirit and power to do so. Let me pray for you. Father God, as we just looked at the first eight verses, I pray that your spirit even now would move in our hearts, move in our own spirit. I do pray that we would absolutely 
be open to more of you. That we could walk away as a church sitting there going, we are spirit receptive. That there is more to God than just salvation. Salvation is good, but it's just the beginning. God, we pray that you would awaken our souls. We pray that you would awaken this church to more of you. We pray that you would awaken our city and awaken this nation. God, be a God of revival, and we're asking you to revive what is sleeping and awaken us to more of you. More of you, more of you, more of you. We pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Well, church family, will you please stand? And we're going to sing probably the anthem song of the year, if you will, for this Awakened series. It's called God of Revival. I pray that we would worship to it, but not just worship. But may this truly be our prayer in worship. That we believe that God can still wake up souls. We believe God still moves. And we're praying, awaken your people.